Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, July 4th. Before we get to recapping any of the exciting tennis that's happened over the last 24 hours, I first and foremost have to wish a happy Independence Day to all of our Crack Rackets fans here in the United States. Whether you spent your national holiday outside by a pool, on a beach, by a lake, with your friends, with your family, cooking hot dogs, cooking hamburgers, or whether you were indoors, feet up, enjoying a day of vacation, watching some spectacular tennis on your television screen, we certainly hope all of you enjoyed the national holiday. And of course, on today's podcast, what we want to do for all of you Crack Rackets fans is catch you up on everything that's unfolded over the last 24 hours. Maybe you were on a boat somewhere, didn't have the best Wi-Fi, or maybe you just unplugged for the day, enjoyed some time with friends, with family, whatever the case may be. Again, we know it's our job here at Crack Rackets to keep you up to date on everything happening in the tennis world. That, as always, is my plan for today's show to catch all of you listeners up on everything that's happened over the course of the last 24 hours. And look, as excited as I am, I am, excuse me, to be home in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan at the inaugural Bloomfield Hills Challenger this week. I know all of us as tennis fans are focused on the year's third major, the 2023 Wimbledon officially rocking and rolling. In my opinion, it's not truly a Wimbledon until we see a complete day's schedule wiped away due to rain. And obviously, that was the storyline on Tuesday. Rain meaning we got only eight matches of play throughout the course of the day. That said, still plenty of intriguing results. And as always, what I want to do here on today's show is run you through all eight results, offer you my thoughts on a testy win from Elena Rabakina on Jabur, Arena Sapolenka, all top seeds through on the day. Those were your only women's results on the men's side. Again, we had five matches, a lot of them fairly straightforward. We'll talk about how Andy Murray looked in match number one of the Fortnite. Certainly feels like the first time we saw him play a drama-free match at a slam in quite some time. But again, what I want to do on today's podcast, run you through all eight of the formal results that we saw on the day. Now, there are still plenty of matches that have yet to failed or have failed excuse me to conclude from day number one and look days number day number three schedule is just going to be an absolute marathon at Wimbledon we'll catch up on everything from day three tomorrow it's all it's just worth noting because so many of our round one matches got pushed what I'm going to do to make life a little bit easier for myself. No Great Shot Podcast, Ace of the Day for day number three. We previewed all of day three's matches already. So again, if you're looking for first round preview content, the Great Shot Podcast feed is the place for you. But again, here on the mini break podcast, day in, day out, throughout the course of this third major of the year, we are going to offer you updates on everything that happens on the grounds at Wimbledon. However, 
because there were only eight matches, what I also want to do on this mini break podcast for all of you listeners is offer you an update on everything I saw on day one of main draw play, but day three overall at this Cranbrook Tennis Classic or Bloomfield Hills Challenger, as I imagine so many of you know it as, of course. It's just, it's such a pleasure. Not only to, I mean, I've already said this, so this isn't a revelation to any of you listeners, but I'm staying at my parents' house. It's 11 minutes from the grounds here at Cranbrook, and to have pro tennis in my neck of the woods, in my neighborhood, spent months, spent years dreaming about this sort of situation, and to see it manifest itself, I could not be more grateful to the DeMuth family for all they have done in bringing this event to Southeast Michigan. There is just a buzz on the grounds, and maybe I feel that buzz a little bit more present in my life compared to other events because A, I'm super excited. B, I know I would say roughly 60% of the fans that walk through the door I've had some sort of experience with in life. And so maybe it's just a little bit easier for me to talk to them about the excitement in the moment. But C, it's because the tennis has been spectacular. We've got a top five guy, Kei Shikori, here competing this week in Bloomfield Hills. And I mean, you know when there are four Japanese flags in the crowd, it's a special environment at a challenger to see the passion from fans, to see the level of play, not just from a guy like Nishikori, but you know we love college tennis here at Crack Rackets. And again, this Bluefield Hills Challenger is the best of the best of who's who from the college tennis universe trying to work their way into the pros, given the fact that there were only eight Wimbledon matches and so many spectacular matches at Bloomfield Hills on Tuesday, what I want to do for all of you listeners here is offer a recap of the first day of main draw play at this Cranbrook Tennis Classic. I'll try to do my best to offer recaps each and every day, whether they'll be posted in the morning, whether they'll be posted in the evening, or whether they'll continue to be posted alongside of these Wimbledon recaps. I guess that'll just depend on my mood on any given day. I apologize for that fact, but we'll try to keep all recaps, again, Wimbledon, Bloomfield Hills Challenger related here on uh, the Mini Break podcast feed. All preview content will be available over on the Great Shot podcast feed, and again, we will get back to previewing every day of Wimbledon as soon as we have a new slate of matches heading into day number four. But to recap, our agenda here on today's show, I want to talk you through all of Tuesday's eight Wimbledon results. I want to talk you through the many results we saw Tuesday here on the grounds at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from so many of you listeners. And it's not a shock to me that there are plenty of listeners here in Southeast Michigan. I would certainly hope our hometown community backs what we're trying to do here in building tennis at Cracked Rackets. But it's been a pleasure to see so many of you who are on the grounds here in Southeast Michigan. If you are going to be at this Bloomfield Hills Challenger, come say hello. I'll be the guy in the Cracked Rackets hat. I'm here. Westoff's here. I believe Dalton is here as well. It's going to be a blast, and we are looking forward, obviously, to watching all the action unfold. We wouldn't have these sorts of opportunities if it wasn't for all of you listeners tuning in day in, day out. So shout out to all of you. Shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. Remember, the promo code is CR15 to get 15% off all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. Of course, all you got to do again, go there. You'll find whatever you're looking for. You sign up using, uh, excuse me, you make a purchase. You use our promo code CR15. You get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. So tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, all of that established, let's talk some tennis 
here on today's show. And let's start with our eight Wimbledon results. Again, you only had eight, so I'm not sure how surprising any of them could particularly be. But the top seeds looked apart yesterday, particularly on the women's side. I know the most notable result of the day came via defending Wimbledon champion Elena Rabakina. Rabakina drops her opening set. Two dangerous, big-serving Americans, Shelby Rogers. Rogers taking that first set 6-4. It was quite clear how shaky the level was from Rabakina to start. And you just wondered for Rabakina, who had talked very openly about how she wasn't fully over that virus that had plagued her at the French Open, forced her to withdraw. You wondered if the combination of that, the nerves of entering Wimbledon of all places as the reigning champ, you wondered if that was going to overwhelm her early on in the match. And when she comes out of the gate and makes only 48% of her first serves in that opening set, you start to think, uh-oh, are the lights getting a little too bright? Is Elena Rabakina in some trouble here at Wimbledon? Well, guess what? The answers are resounding no. <laughs> She's fine. Moving forward as Rabakina bounces all the way back, 4-6, 6-1, Here's the most notable thing. Under 50% first serve percentage in set number one, she ends the match 44 of 68, makes 65% of her first serves. She's making 65% of her first serves. She's not losing matches because Rabakina, 41 of 44 on the first serve yesterday. She won 93% of her first serve points. And yes, she went 10 of 24 on the second serve. And yes, Shelby Rogers is particularly well-suited to take a hanging second serve, or you know, I like to call those the hanging chads, and take them early on the rise, get Rabakina into the outer thirds, make her uncomfortable. She certainly had opportunities to do that. But then Rabakina started making first serves. And once Rabakina starts making first serves, I'm sorry, you're just not beating her in anything less than maybe a 7-6 set on this surface because, and stop me if you've heard this before, listeners, she plays Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Tennis. She faced one break point in the match. That one break came in set number one. She did not face a break point in sets two or three. She had 14 forehand winners in this match. I think 17 winners overall. You compare that to just the 15 unforced errors she ultimately hit. It's a good day at the office for Elena Rabakina. 18, uh, excuse me, 31 winners, 18 unforced errors, 12 aces, two double faults. A slow start, but for considering Rabakina was ill and only, what, got to play very, very limited warm-up grass court tennis, it took her a hot sec to find the first serve. It took her a hot sec to get a better read on the Shelby Rogers serve. And, you know, once she got that read, I thought she hit her backhand on the rise return particularly well. And you could just tell she took a couple of backhands early. I think it was... She hit four unreturned backhand returns in the first two return uh, service games of Rogers in the second set. It was a slow start, but then she got rocking and rolling again. And look, Shelby's a tricky opponent on the surface because she has weapons to make you uncomfortable. But again, ultimately, credit to Elena Rabakina. Threw in three sets, avoided what could have otherwise been tricky, tricky scenario. Look, outside of that, I don't have much analysis beyond the Rabakina match, which, again, it wasn't even that astute. Her first serve was bad, and then it wasn't. And when Rabakina's first serve is clicking, the weight of her shot on this surface, good luck knocking her out. For Anjabur, 3-3 win over Magdalena Frich. I mean, what could Magdalena do to hurt her? Nothing. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for Anjabur is that physically, I thought she played a very measured match, very disciplined match, and... 
I mean, every ball was available for her. She wanted to hit drop shot. She could hit drop shot. She wanted to play slice deep, move in behind it. She could play slice deep, move in behind it. She wanted to take a forehand early on the rise, come over the top of it, and flattened it out. She did that repeatedly as well. Again, a 3-3 three and three victory for Jabur. I really don't have, I, like, do I think she is moving? Is there something significant, some sort of significant symbol that says, oh, yeah, she's playing 2022 levels of tennis again? No, I didn't. I don't know if I saw anything remarkable about this Anjibur performance, but maybe that's the most remarkable part was how unremarkable it was, how on rhythm it felt, how 2022-esque it felt. 33 winners, 29 unforced errors. The key Magdalene Freak, only four winners. It's, it's kind of hard to hit only four winners in a grass court match, truth be told. But I guess if there's any silver lining or red herring. Again, I, I mentioned Freak couldn't hurt Jabur, so I don't know how translatable this result is to the, uh, a potential second week one for Jabur when she's going to have to perhaps start facing people like the Rabakinas, like the Sabalankas, etc. of the world. You know, again, for Jabur to win this match in straights despite making just 44% of her first serves, she only faced one break point. That's a job well done. She's through three and three into the next round. We're joining her on the final women's result on Tuesday. Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka 3-1 over Pano Udvardi. 29 winners, 19 unforced errors, 8 aces, 2 double faults. She lost 10 points on serve. Let me say that again. She lost 10 total points on serve in what was 8 service games. 2 for 2 in break points saved. Goes unbroke. If you don't have a weapon to hit Sabalenka out of the center and she's serving well... Unless your name's Iga, well, Iga Shvantec has weapons to hit Sabalenka out of the center. But unless you have a consistent weapon to turn to, or Sabalenka's playing poorly, you don't really have a shot against Arena right now. I mean, again, her, Rybakina, and obviously Iga Shvantec, they just exist on a plane above everyone else. And if you do it, you know, again, you do it at one event, we take it with a grain of salt, but they've all been doing it consistently when healthy through the first six months of this season. And so, again, Sabalenka, Rabakina, Iga, your clear-cut top three favorites right now in the women's singles draw. Outside of that, it's anyone's game. And if you're asking me, could Anjabur be on that list after round number one? It's impossible to answer with that question within anything. But no, again, Jabur, Rabakina, Sabalenka, your women's seeds to advance on day number two. Day number three, uh, excuse me, day number two, uh, for the men, again, fairly straightforward. Now, you're looking for the most notable result as it relates to the 30,000-foot view of this Wimbledon. Set it during London. Set it in our preview podcast forecasting this uh, uh, Wimbledon event. I don't care if it's on hard courts. I don't care if it's on gla- uh, clay courts. I don't care if it's on broken glass. I don't care if it's on carpet. I don't care what the surface you want to invent is Carlos Alcaraz will be one of the three best players in the world on it, as long as it involves the same rules, same dimensions as tennis. Because, look, I, I mean, the phrase sentiment to retirement is a double entendre here because Chardy was already announced that this Wimbledon match would be his last match and he was retiring following this first-round battle. But dare I say, sentiment to retirement. Like, you could just tell Jeremy Chardy did not have the fluidity, did not have the consistency, did not have the ability to hang with the top seed, Carlos Alcaraz, in those first two sets. And look, credit to Chardy. He went guns blazing, back against the wall. You might as well go down swinging. That's what he did in set number three on his way to a 7-5 result. But here's the number. 
I, I, the, what's so amazing to me is how well these two stats mirror each other. Alcaraz, 38 winners, 14 unforced errors. Shardy, 14 winners, 36 unforced errors. Checkers, chess. Whichever one you think is more difficult, that's the one Alcaraz was playing and dominating at. Shardy just didn't have the weapons. He didn't have the forehand. He didn't have the consistency, the physicality that somehow Alcaraz still brings to this service. Now, I do continue to think the single biggest threat to Carlos Alcaraz's Wimbledon campaign, other than Novak Djokovic, is honestly himself. Because Alcaraz cannot help but... I mean, he's built these habits over 20 years, and this is why he's one of the two best players in the world right now because he's so relentless, because he's so aggressive, because there's not a single ball he doesn't think he can find a forehand to hit, and yet he could hurt himself on these grass courts because they're just slippery. And if you're Alcaraz, you take one wrong step to the left. You take two wrong steps on a sprint to the right. You try to slide under something, and maybe your ankle just buckles a little bit. I am perennially afraid of a rolled ankle for Carlos Alcaraz on this surface. I just, you know, again, Alcaraz is a freak athletically. Of course, I think he's going to be exceptional on grass courts. I think he's not going to win one Wimbledon. I think eventually he wins multiple Wimbledons because he's just that sort of player. And I think he's going to win multiple of all the majors, which, by the way, puts him at eight right away, which is a hefty expectation for someone 20 years old. You're like, yeah, he'll get eight. But honest to God, if I tell you the benchmark the litmus test over under seven and a half majors for Carlos Alcaraz right now how many of you would take the over be honest with me at least at least 30 percent of you are taking the over that he's getting to eight and that's a testament to him by the way but anyways the guy's explosive he's comfortable serving and bowling I mean his first forehand the weight of shot if he hits a ball where you're not expecting it on this surface because it's so difficult to change directions you're just not tracking it down. He's the real deal. I don't know how else to say it. Carlos Alcaraz threw in straight sets. We'll miss Jeremy Shardy. We got the chance to hang out with him a little bit way back in the OG years, half a decade ago. Shout out to the uh, exhibition event we went to in Vermont, Stowe Tennis Class, uh, Stowe Tennis event. Shout out to Top Notch Management for putting that on. We got to meet Shardy. We got to hang out. Lovely human. Has been great for the game. Again, classy. So much success. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. Has he set himself up well for his next phase of life? Absolutely. But Carlos Alcaraz is the story in the here and now. He's not only the story now, he's the future as well. Alcaraz threw in straight sets. I mean, that's the most notable result of the day. Other, I mean, Andy Murray, 6-3, 6-love, 6-1 over Ryan Penniston, that he won that match in just over two hours, that he had, you know, again, that it just felt like Penniston couldn't hurt him on this surface, which given the match was played indoors on grass courts, you feel like it's easier to hurt a player on an indoor grass court than maybe any other surface in the world. But yeah, I mean, again, uh, straight set win for Andy Murray, 6-3, 6-love, 6-1 over Ryan Penniston. Made 63% of his first serves, won 76% of his first serve points, wasn't broken in the match, 21 of 24 uh, winners to unforced errors. I was looking for the net points one. I don't see it at this moment. I It's probably just me looking in the wrong location. I mean, look, Murray, I, I think I saw the stat yesterday. He's won, like, it's, I think it the, it's the, ter- it's at least the two-thirds rule, but he's won more than 70% of his matches against lefties in his career if you, if you take Rafa out of the equation. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Like, look, his back end's, 
would have been the best in history or one of in the conversation for the best in history if he wasn't one week older. So inter- inexplicably intertwined with Novak Djokovic, who again, it's the greatest backhand I've ever seen. But Murray can just against the lefty Penniston's trying to play heavy cross court. Murray's like, thank you. I'll hit. I'll bunt down on this. I'll drive through that much more. I'll go line. I'll. I'm happy to exchange pace with you cross court. And it's so. It's so clear how much more comfortable he is moving to his left one year later than he was one year ago. The slices have been minimized. He uh, minimized. He looks fit. He looked healthy. I mean, we just saw him beat ten straight players ranked outside the top fifty at a couple of challenger events. Or you know, go 10-0 and 0 over the course of two challenger events. And if you can win two challenger events on grass courts in particular, where the typical ranking list for a grass court challenger ranked between 50 and like 116 in the world, those are the players Murray's going to face in round one, in round two, maybe even as you get closer to round three of this event. Now, Murray against elite competition, Murray tested against elite weaponry. I still need to see it. But if you don't have that elite weapon, he's still Andy freaking Murray. And for him to consolidate his spot in the top 50, again, he's just not going to need wild cards anymore into anything. Real freaking deal. 3-0-1. Again, Andy Murray was on the had to be on your list of dark horse candidates, unseated players who could make the second week, who could make a run. And look, Wimbledon's always electric when Andy Murray's competing. And so hopefully we get to keep him as long as possible in this event. As simply put, the sport is always better for having him. Other results on the day, we'll run through these quickly. Disasters continue for Dan Evans. He just, he's under 500, I believe, now on the year. When you look for Dan Evans overall this season, let me make sure. I don't want to be incorrect in that assessment, but I'm not surprised to see him knocked out by Quentin Halise in four sets. The Frenchman, big serve, big forehand, big weapons. Dan Evans has no confidence. Yeah, Evans 26 and 29 over his last 52 weeks. He's now here in 2023. Also, uh, let's see, nine and eight. Yeah, you know what? I retract my hesitation. I don't even know why I checked. I I was wrong to assume he's under 500. He we have the two thirds rule. What's the one third rule? Where Dan Evans right now nine and 18. He's lost seven of his last eight matches. He has multiple three match losing streaks. Let's see, he's lost three consecutive matches this year. If you divide up his six-match losing streak, he did two separate segments there, a four-match losing streak, a three-match losing streak. Look, he's 33 years old, and, you know, this year, more than anything else, it feels like the thing that's abandoned him, the serve, and, you know, those returns are just coming in a little bit heavier now into his backhand. He pops that ball up in a way maybe he wasn't a year, a year and a half ago. You can also, for a guy who's a shot maker, the confidence just isn't quite there right now. And that ball was just floating too frequently and, Look, Quentin Halise was there to attack his serve, his forehand, the biggest weapons on the court. Credit to the former, one of the former top juniors in the world. It was a slow burn for the Frenchman, Quentin Halise, to consolidate his spot in the top 75. But he's done exactly that after his past 12 months of play. So, again, credit to Halise. He's through in four. Cam Norrie knocking out Thomas Mychek, 6-3-4-6-6-1-6-4. Good victory for the Brit, who, again, by his standard, he's had a so-so 2023. I know currently the 12th seed here at Wimbledon, but you know, again, this is a guy who a year ago was unequivocally competing for a spot at the World Tour Finals, and I know his ranking might put him there 
since beating Alcaraz in South America, has he had a definitive sort of World Tour Finals-esque result? I don't know that he has, so good for him to get his slam going. He gets a four-set win, and then shout-out to Tomas Martin Echeverry. Obviously made the semifinals at the French Open, now a top 35 guy in the world. He gets a 7-5 in the third win, comes back from two sets to love down to knock out Bernas Bays of Pata Morales. I've said it before, I'll say it again, Tomas Martin Echeverry, 0.85%. Or he's the diet, you know, Coke is to Diet Coke as Kasparud is to Tomas Martin Echeverry. And by the way, I know people who like Diet Coke more than Coke. So maybe that's a, maybe Kasparud's the Diet Coke in this scenario. But there's a lot of similarities between the two. There's just not a glaring weakness you attack in Echeverry's game. I don't know if he has quite as much sting. I don't know if his serve plus one combination is quite as reliable as a Casper Roots, or at least at this point. But, man, I like Thomas Martin Echeverri's game. I love how well he moves forward. And, again, this Argentinian resurgence, Sarundolo, Echeverri, Baez. There are more as you move further and further down the rankings as well. And it's just been fun to watch it all unfold. The Italians, the Argentinians, just a couple of countries where, again, not the richest tennis history between the, the the two countries. But, man, there are a lot of good young players from those two countries now beginning to work their way up the rankings. And it's worth exploring how did those two federations go about achieving the success that they have. That's a podcast probably for a different time. But, again, just wanted to get you up to date on everything that's happened on day two of Wimbledon. So those are your three women's results. Those are your five men's results. Now, again, Before we wrap today's show, got to talk about day three at this Bloomfield Hills Challenger. And if you're looking for preview content of Wimbledon, rest assured, again, great shot podcast feed will be the place for you. No preview of day number three, given days three matches are really just day two matches pushed back 24 hours. So we already previewed day three. You can find that podcast if you're looking for it on our great shot podcast feed. We'll get back to previewing each and every day as this tournament progresses uh, and takes us to the second round. But We are on the grounds here at the Bloomfield Hills Challenger. There's a lot of extraordinary tennis happening throughout the course of every day. So what I want to do now for all of you listeners is talk you through my experience, talk you through everything we've seen unfold thus far in singles here at this event. The biggest takeaway is that Kei Nishikori will be in the top 50 in the next year if healthy. And maybe not just the top 50, maybe back in the top 25, maybe back even in the top 20 as well. I mean sincerely. Oh, you know it when you see it. And all due respect to Adam Walton, who it's been delightful for me personally to have the opportunity to catch up with because I haven't seen Waltz in a year. And, you know, the fact that he is now inside the top 300 just one year after leaving college, the fact that he is or top 400, excuse me, and now he's so well positioned to play challenger events to, you know, maybe make even a push. I think I was talking to him. He needs to earn 20 points over the course of his next three events. If he does so, he'll very likely get into the main draw of U.S. Open qualifying. Ben Shelton has skewed the scale. Emma Navarro, Peyton Stearns, they've skewed the scales going from outside the, you know, from the college realm and really from no ranking at all to inside the top 100 in 12 months out of, uh, in their first 12 months, excuse me, out of college. But 
for Walton to do what he's done really outside the top 800 and to describe himself as a guy who really didn't play that frequently prior to headed to school in Knoxville, to go from that to inside the top 400 so quickly, it just speaks to the level we have right now in men's college tennis that so many of these players make this transition so successfully, so quickly. I mean, again, Adam Walton is really good. He's really physical. He absorbs, he redirects pace so extraordinarily well. Kei Shikori crushed him yesterday. He didn't beat him, he crushed him. And look, part of that is it was the second time Nishikori had played Adam Walton. The two did went head-to-head uh, in Puerto Rico a couple of weeks ago. Of course, that was an event where Nishioka ultimately went on to win that challenger title. But Nishioka Nishikori, excuse me, Nishikori won in two over Walton yesterday, and it just felt like the first ball got onto the body of Adam Walton so quickly that he had to pop that first ball up. Again, that forehand, uh, his forehand would just, it would sit up, and Kei Nishikori would pounce, and his momentum was moving perfectly forward into the court, and just, you know, again, he hit all of his spots on serve, whatever he was looking for, he managed to convert, and yeah, he was extraordinarily impressive. Again, I got to tip the cap to Kane Ishikori, who has made a U.S. Open final, who has been a top five player in the world. We know the level he's capable of, but to play as little tennis as he has over the course of the past three seasons and, you know, again, to win a challenger right away. I just went on a rant on how high the level of challenger tennis is right now to win a challenger right away to to see all these guys, uh, to, uh, excuse me, then come back here and, you know, again, every single person on the grounds is here to see Kei Nishikori. It is amazing to see fans swarm to him. They swoon over him as soon as he steps off the court and is walking from court back to the locker room. Everyone's asking for photographs. Again, we saw four Japanese flags out and about at a local challenger event. The passion of the fans coming to support Kei Nishikori. It's what you dream about here uh, as a tennis fan here at Cracked Rackets. And, you know, again, I thought he moved. Walton couldn't hurt him. So I want to see him play a guy who maybe can generate a little bit more pace, a little bit more easily on his own. And coming up next for Nishikori, he'll play a guy in Dennis Kudla, who I think will hit the ball with a little bit better depth routinely. And he'll he'll look to move forward maybe a little bit more now. Again, Adam Walton's having trouble hitting his spots on the serve. And you know, even at his best, Dennis Kudla, a great spot server. He's never had the most overwhelming first serve. Nishikori's going to have plenty of looks. He's here with his team. I see Max Mirny here every day hitting with him. You know, again, Kane Nishikori right now, must see TV. Everyone's watching him. Everyone's enjoying him. And he gave Adam Walton the business. I don't know how else to say it. It was the biggest takeaway is that I do think Nishikori, should his body hold up, he will be back inside the top 50 at the end of this summer because he'll make a quarterfinal at a DC or in a Los Cabos or, you know, again, wherever he's getting wild cards over the course of the North American hardcourt summer. Kane Nishikori is going to make the most of it. 6-1, 6-2, he knocks out Adam Walton. You know, again, what else do we see throughout the course of Tuesday? Best match of the day, without question. Two of our longtime friends here at Cracked Rackets, just guys we've gotten the chance to cover now for so long in Tennis Sandgren, in Mitchell Kruger. In the end, it was Sandgren, 7-6 in the third. No breaks of serve in that third set. And look, these courts, every, every, every player describes them as ideal hard courts. Not too quick, not too slow, not too skittish, but not too high bouncing either. Look, we know what we're doing. 
here in Michigan. I've told you all this for years now. Maybe you'll hear some of these players in our Cracked Interviews podcast talk about it, and you'll believe it more, but there's just a degree of physicality Tennis Sandgren brings, point in, point out, and it's the physicality of someone who's been in the top 100, who understands, look, even if I play my best tennis for two hours, sometimes that not isn't enough, and you have to be able to push through that extra threshold. You have to be able to get to the very, you know, again, you have to be able to push through pain and I just thought he hit his spots on serve extraordinarily well. It's funny. I talked to him in his post-match press conference. I noticed he was going into Kruger's body a lot on the serve. And he goes, it's funny you mentioned that because truth be told, I just missed my spot every time. I just couldn't find the tee serve today. And I kept finding his body instead. But it worked. Sandgren right now, you know, again, according to him, he just doesn't love the rhythm of his backhand right now. But, again, the depth of shot he's able to generate. Unless you have an overwhelming weapon, it's just... It's really difficult to hurt Tennis Sandgren, point in, point out. And so, again, credit to Sandgren, who's through with a 7-6 in the third victory. Who's got? Who's up next for Tennis Sandgren? I think, does he have top C James Duckworth? He does, right? Yeah. How about those for round of 16 matches? This is how you know it's a new era, that Sandgren, Nishikori, and Duckworth— uh, uh, Sandgren, excuse me, Duckworth, and Nishikori Kudla are the second-round matches. It just shows you how many other young players are, you know, just— nipping at the bit for an opportunity to make a big run at a challenger, assert themselves, uh, get themselves into, excuse me, Grand Slam qualifying, and then just try to make a run from there. One of the guys so well positioned to do so, our guy here at Crack Rackets, Lexi Galarno, who right now, by the way, Lexi closing in on the top 200, 215 in the live rankings. He got an impressive 7-6-6-3 victory over Elliot Spazieri yesterday. And by the way, tough day yesterday. For all the accelerator players from the college tennis world, you look at the results. Spaziri out 6-3 and three to Galarno. Uh, you had Nishesh Basavaretti out 6-3 in the third to Paracard. You had Michael Zhang out 4-1 and one to Emilio Gomez. Kingsley knocked off Aiden, by Aiden McHugh for the fifth time, 5-5. Five and five. You had Ozan Barris knocked out 6-3 in the third by our guy Makun Sasakumar, who, by the way, we spoke with immediately after that match. It was interesting because Basavaretti won the first set. Uh, Barris won the first set. Uh, who else am I missing that won first set? No, I mean, Spaziri was right there on serve, and he actually was the one who had a break point in that opening set of his loss against Lexi Galarno in what was otherwise a rock-solid match. Even Michael Zhang had a little bit of a window early, but Kingsley was up 5-2, 15-40, uh, had two break points on McHugh, uh, set points on McHugh's serve. And then you hit that hour-and-a-half mark. And then you hit that two-hour mark, two-and-a-half-hour mark. And I'm not saying these guys aren't physically fit enough to be at this level, but you could just tell mentally any time any of these college guys would have even a momentary two-minute, three-minute gap or, you know, they produce two unforced errors or, God forbid, three unforced errors in a row to create a love 30, love 40 little opening for their opponents all of their veteran opponents capitalized. All of their veteran opponents used that opportunity to, again, skate through or take advantage of the big shot. And, man, all the credit in the world. Uh, I mean, again, to a guy like Lexi Galarno, who is what, I'll be generous and say 5'10", 5'11", 150 pounds soaking wet. His contact point is beautiful. And his ability to capture that ball early on the rise, you know, use your top spin against you, flatten out his ball, follow it forward to the net. I thought he's hitting his serve spots so much better than he would in college. There's just a little bit more pace. He also is as fit as can be right now. Like you can just tell things, you know, again, 
any five pounds of, you know, I'm going to go out on a Friday night because I live on a college campus and I want to have fun with my friends, that that sort of extra just doesn't exist for Lexi Galarno anymore. Again, the guy is absolutely rock solid physically and has the shot making, has the creativity, has the aggressive mindset, even if he's not going to blow you away with maybe the pace he produces on his own, but so good at absorbing, so good at redirecting. I used to not think Lexi had a top 100 ceiling, truth be told, just because I didn't know how big the serve would get. I didn't know if at that size, you know, again, he could leverage all the things he needed to physically to put himself in a position to be a top 100 guy. But, man, he did it. And, look, I'm just going to be honest, and he'd be the first to admit it, Elliot Spaziri's backhand was bad yesterday. It was just spraying on him. I think I saw him miss at one point six backhand returns in a row. Not maybe necessarily on the same point because he'd find forehands in between, but you know, six I think it was or maybe it was six out of seven. Elliot's serve was good enough. His forehand was good enough. He was physically fit enough to be there, but you know, again the backhand broke down today and Lexi was there to pounce. Lexi threw in straights. By the way, I never talked about Kudla Getting that 6-3 in the third win over Skander Mansuri. Mansuri had a, a like four breakpoint chances at three all in the third, was unable to convert, and you could just see for Skander it kind of the bubble burst at that moment, and he went awry on a couple of serve plus one forehands, which by the way are still the same monstrosities they were when he was a college, you know, an All American back at Wake Forest in 2018. But man, what I what, the more I learned, because all these guys are exceptional physically their forehands, their serves. You're in person here. Sometimes you watch in-person tennis and you just think to yourself, how the hell does anyone win these matches? Well, again, it's because at 15, or at 30-40, Kudla was confident coming up with a big serve down the tee, testing that Skandermansuri forehand and going into the belly of the bee saying, I dare you. You know, again, beat me. I'm going to play my best tennis. I dare you. Come out, beat me. I, I'm, you know, again, I'm not going to hand it to you. I'm going to go down swinging. I'm going to go down playing on my terms. And, you know, for all of these guys yesterday, it worked. So credit to them. I should have mentioned, I didn't mention Mikhail Kukushkin. Kukushkin, another veteran, of course, who uh, has been exceptional throughout the course of his career. He gets a 7-6 in the third win over Christian Harrison. I know Christian Harrison still coming back from injury. But, again, credit to Harrison. Uh, uh, I, I thought physically he looked a lot better than perhaps he had earlier on in the event. And so, yeah, all the credit in the world to Christian Harrison. Knocked out 7-6 in the third. I thought he played well. By the way, I didn't give the paracard take. Tall, Frenchman, can play big. Yeah, Basavaretti just wasn't there. He physically went away. And some of the approach shots he missed in the third set, I've never seen Nishesh Basavaretti. I don't want to say never, but it was sloppy, and I'm not accustomed to seeing Nishesh play sloppy tennis. So, anyways, those are the first-round matches in the books. Now, we still have a couple of fun first-rounders today. You've got Quinn Sasekumar, uh, today meaning Wednesday, Quinn Sasekumar, um, Escobedo, Shimizu, Zhu School, Kate, Chilik Bellic, Lyall, Stevie J under action against McHugh. You have McCabe, Shelby continuing their match. Shelby drop, dropping the first, McCabe taking the first before play suspended due to darkness. We're going to keep coverage. I mean, again, we're so excited to be here at Cracked Rackets. We're going to try to talk to all of the winners throughout the course of the week. Now, whether we will have post-match pressers with every player after every match, I'm not sure that's going to be the case because sometimes you get a little bit hesitant before asking a player to speak with you for a fourth consecutive day. But again, we're going to do our best to have 
the uh, to speak with everyone here on the grounds. I told you, I have reputations on the line. I'm not leaving until I get at least five minutes with Kei Nishikori. Now, there have been some indications that that's going to be a little bit harder than I anticipated, but I'm a charmer. It's in, that's what I do. And so, again, I'm putting the reputation on the line. I'm going to get him for at least two questions. If I can sneak in five questions, maybe like seven minutes, please know it's just in one of the all-time coups. Uh, I was going to make a... I was going to make a coup joke, but you know what? We'll save that perhaps for a different podcast. This feels like the perfect time to wrap today's show again. That's everything that happened Tuesday at Wimbledon here in Bloomfield Hills. Of course, we will be back on Wednesday to recap all of day three's action at Wimbledon, all of day four here at this Cranbrook Tennis Classic as well. And if you're looking for additional content, interviews already recorded, Sandgren, Kudla, Emilio Gomez, uh, Makun Sasakumar, um, two others as well whose names I'm blanking on right now because we did six interviews. It's hard to keep track of them all. All of them available now on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed or as videos on our YouTube channel. Of course, a shout-out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. He makes all of that happen. A shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of this show, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 with all of that said for my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Cracked Records and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.